what is your favorite type of reading? What, what kind of books do you like to read? I mean, there's two big categories, of course, fiction and nonfiction. Uh, the fiction books might be like romance novels or some kind of story that's, that, that's not true. And then nonfiction would be um, historical facts, things like cookbooks or scientific textbooks or biographies. Um, for me, my favorite, maybe of all the genre, all the different types, is biography. I love to read about people's lives. And, you know, I think the Bible itself is structured uh, very much that way. In fact, the largest uh, type of genre in all of these 66 books is what we call narrative. It's story. Uh, about half of the Bible or more is put in that form. Stephen Davies, uh, a friend of mine who pastors up in the Raleigh area, says, God happens to be committed to the concept that you and I best learn when truth is brought to life. And so throughout Scripture, he brings truth on stage for us, giving us the biographies of people both good and bad, virtuous and wicked, spiritual and sensual, sacrificial and self-absorbed. Now, Hebrews 11 is one of those places where we're going to see a lot of biographical sketches. They're short, they're brief, but we're going to learn a lot about who God is and what God wants from us based on how he worked in people's lives. And we come there to Hebrews 11, so I invite your attention there. We're teaching through, preaching through the book of Hebrews here at Harvest started in the spring, and now we come, we're up to chapter 11. And today, as we look at the first three verses of Hebrews 11, uh, God's Word is going to really stress something. In fact, this is stressed all through chapter 11, but specifically today, a life of faith pleases God. A life of faith pleases God. We're going to see that over and over and over. So let's start reading at Hebrews uh, chapter 11 uh, and verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, setting the stage for this particular passage, at the end of chapter 10, the writer had stated his confidence in the faith of his readers. He had warned them. That if they had only professed faith and they turned away from it, it would reveal something about them. 
that they didn't truly belong to God's people. But he was confident in his readers that they were actually people who did know Christ personally and that they would persevere in their faith. And he encouraged them and he said, I believe that about you. And after he expresses that, now he's going to show us in chapter 11 what that looks like. He's going to elaborate on what faith is and on what faith does. And he does it with a lot of examples. In fact, the little phrase we will see over and over again is by faith. By faith this, by faith that, by faith that. In fact, in this one chapter, that occurs 18 times. That's pretty significant. In uh, what, 40... uh, 40 verses, 18 times it says by faith. Now, before we look at these three verses in particular on your outline sheet, I have kind of summarized Hebrews 11. Lord willing, we're going to spend the next four weeks in Hebrews 11. Pastor Corey next week will take a few verses, then I'll come back for the two sermons after that. But for four sermons, we're going to be in Hebrews 11. And there are things about faith that keep, that we learn over and over and over again through this chapter. So I've summarized them here for us so that we can keep them in mind. Faith focuses on the unseen rather than on the seen. Of course, that you there could be capitalized, (laughs) Because there's uh, the people of faith we read about in this chapter, we're responding to the great unseen one, God. He spoke and that was enough for them. And then faith is active obedience to God. Faith for the writer of Hebrews is not just a passive belief, but it's, it's taking action on that belief. It's doing things or enduring things for God. So faith involves active obedience to God. Third, faith is, let's just say it's impossible to please God without it. We're going to see that verse specifically later. But over and over in chapter 11, what we're finding is this is, this is God's commendation. God is saying, look at these people. These people pleased me, and and so it's impossible to please God without faith. Here's another characteristic. Faith is trust in God and his word. God spoke to people, and he still speaks to people through his word. Biblical faith is not just dreaming up something crazy and saying, oh, I have faith that that's going to happen. No. Biblical faith is faith in God and what he has revealed through his word. And it it really hones in there. Some things might be called faith that aren't biblical faith. And then faith helps in a variety of situations and outcomes. A lot of things happen in Hebrews 11 through faith. Uh, Offerings are made to God. A boat is built Uh, An authority is challenged, a family is moved, children are blessed, mistreatment is chosen over pleasure, persecution is suffered, and much, much more. There's not just one outcome of faith. 
Don't listen to anybody who says, if you have faith, this is going to happen every single time. Because we have a record in Hebrews 11 that things happen differently for people of faith. And faith helps us in all these circumstances. So before we look at the three verses, let's, let, let me just give you three ver- misconceptions about faith. And the first one is that faith is only for spiritual giants. It's very easy <clears throat> for us to think faith is for somebody else, somebody that's a lot more spiritual than I am. Or, you know, these people in the Bible, they had to be spiritual giants, right? They're so different from us. And really, they, they weren't different from us. They were human just like us. They had weaknesses just like us. If, if you read the stories, you'll find a lot of times when you go, wow. They, they blew it. <laughs> but faith is not just for spiritual giants. It's, it's the normal experience for believers. God wants everybody, every Christian to have faith. Secondly, here's another misconception. Faith will always result in my getting good things. This is like the health and wealth gospel, right? If you have faith, you'll get it. You'll get the person you want and the job you want and the money you want and the health you want. And if you don't get it, something's wrong with your faith. That's a misconception. Faith isn't about our getting good things. And then another misconception is that some people think faith is just a blind leap in the dark. That there's there's nothing to base it on. And it might be some crazy idea and, there, and we might not have any idea if anything is ever going to happen. That is a misconception. So what we're going to do in these three verses here of the first three of chapter 11, we're going to talk about what it is, what faith is. We're going to talk about how God responds to it. And then we're going to show one of the 18 pictures of what faith looks like. Only one. And again, Lord willing, over the next few weeks, we'll look at the other ones. So what is faith? Faith is confident trust in the unseen. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The word faith appears in Hebrews more than in any other book of the New Testament, 24 times in this chapter alone. And the word translated confidence here only appears three times in Hebrews. It was used to indicate the idea of, of, of substance, of firmness, but also on the other side of confidence. Or, and in, when you get past the New Testament or outside of the New Testament, a, a collection of documents that established ownership, a a guarantee. I think the meaning here in chapter 11 is very similar to the use that was earlier uh, translated confidence in Hebrews 3.14. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. It's speaking of a confident assurance that marks faith. It's confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance about what we do not see. There are a lot of things that we believe in that we don't see. 
like electricity, for instance, right? We can see the results of it. We can appreciate the results of it, but it's hard to see it. But faith is about things that we don't see, like the promise of heaven, of Christ coming back, of the fellowship of brothers and sisters, and the promised reunion that we're going to have with those who've gone before us. Now, really what he's doing here in chapter 1, in fact, I think in the whole, or verse 1, but I think the whole chapter, he's given us, let's just call it a functional definition of faith. He's not giving a dictionary definition necessarily. He's not saying this is every single aspect of faith. He's just saying this is, this is how it functions. This is how faith functions. So one of my granddaughters, Addison, just recently got a new bike, her first kind of real bike with training wheels. Her parents were in the hospital having a baby, C-section, we're going to be gone. So they got her this little pri- you know, this little gift from the new baby. <laughs> and guess who got to put it together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't too bad. I put it together. And so I was going to teach her how to ride this bike. Now, we didn't sit down and read a book on here is how one rides a bike, right? I actually got her and sat her on the bike, put her hands in place, showed her how to do it, how to move the pedals, which is a challenge, right? And it was a functional definition of riding a bike. I kind of wish I I didn't ask permission and I didn't think we had time anyway, but my wife also helped out. I took a little video. Tish jumped in there and she actually laid down on the floor, her and Addison, like showing the bicycle kicking motion with her legs. I've got a little video clip of them on the floor doing that afterwards. If you want to see it, let, let me know. Functional definitions of bike riding. And that's, he's kind of given us a functional definition of faith here. This is what it does. It obeys God because it evaluates life based on him and his truth. Based on the unseen. Not just on what is seen. You know, it is very easy, even for Christians, to make decisions and to evaluate life on what we see. What we see right in front of us, we make the decision rather than on what is unseen, the truth of God. Raymond Brown describes it beautifully. He says, the person without any clear faith often accepts things simply as they are. If money comes his way, then it is obviously his to enjoy. If he is confronted with an opportunity for sensual pleasure... He will take it, regardless of its immediate effects or ultimate consequences. He does not necessarily sit down to consider whether it damages him or hurts others. That is not his concern. But the man or woman of faith possesses the conviction of things not seen. 
Such people look beyond the situation as it can be perceived by natural vision or enjoyed by the physical attributes. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so out of that acrostic of faith, this relates specifically to the F. It focuses on the unseen rather than on the seen. Second, how, what else we need to know about faith? We need to know how God responds to it. And the answer is he commends people for their faith. This is what the ancients were commended for. God enabled the people that we're going to study over the next four weeks to trust him. And he approved of their faith. He approved of their lives that grew out of that faith. He approved of the way that faith shaped their lives. There were times when it was dark. There were times when they couldn't see the end of the path or even much of the path, but they operated in faith. They took the first step because God commanded them so. This is what the ancients were commended for. And again, it is impossible to please God without it. That's the opposite way of saying God is pleased with faith. A life of faith does what? Pleases God. Well, what does faith look like? What does faith look like? We come to verse 3. One of the things and one of the ways faith looks like, it looks like belief in God's account of creation. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. This verse does not say that by faith we understand everything. It says by faith we understand that God did everything. There's a difference. It's really an astonishing statement that the universe was formed at God's command. He just just spoke it. So that what is seen, that's the creation, was not made of what was visible. It's an astonishing statement. Um, I think the author probably had Genesis 1 in mind when he was writing this. When he says we understand the universe was formed at God's command... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then if you read the account, it's over and over. God said, God said, God said. Many other writers affirm that through the pages of Scripture, like in Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Last year, 2022, scientists made two discoveries that relate specifically to verses 6 and 7. First of all, off of the coast of Tahiti, they found a giant coral reef. It was an underwater mapping project. Uh, Deep-sea explorers discovered a two-mile-long, 
coral reef resembling a bed of roses. It's the largest ever found at its depth. And then on the other end of the spectrum, that, that kind of relates to the seas, verse 7, verse 6, um, the most individual distant start. In March of 22, astronomers that were working on the Hubble uh, Space Telescope photographed a record-setting image showing the most distant individual star. It's 12.9 billion light years away from Earth. It's believed to be about 50 times larger than the sun um, and millions of times brighter. Verse 8 of Psalm 33, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He, he spoke to that star and said, you, you come into existence. He spoke to that coral reef and said, you come into existence. Now, look, you only have, uh, well, let's look at the second part and then I'll make that statement. So that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. What is seen was not made out of what is visible. Let's understand this very, very carefully about faith. I want to put this a little, it's not on your outline, but I don't think it's on your outline. Um, it's faith because it's not based on sight. That's what this is saying. Okay, that's what faith is. It's not based on sight. But it, is, it does not say that it's faith because it's not based on facts. Or that it is faith because it is not based on science or true science. Sometimes uh, Christians are accused of that. Sometimes we let other people take hold of the narrative and control the conversation. Here's, here's the issue. You only have two basic choices. When you think about the world as it exists and human beings, they either came into being by random chance or because of the specific and design, the specific design and purpose of a creator. You have to make that choice. Did we come into being? Did the universe come into being? Did all people come into being by random chance or through the specific design and purpose of a creator? Now, Wayne Grudem is one of my favorite writers. In his book, Systematic Theology, he mentions some of the destructive influences that evolutionary theory has had on modern thinking. Now, by that, he means macroevolution. It's a Darwinism that denies any existence of God or any role for God in the process. So in other words, if life were not created by God, if you're choosing A instead of B, if humans are not created by God or responsible to him, but just the result of some random occurrence, he said there are four things that we would not have that are very important. Uh, we would not have any significance of human life. If you trace out the implication that we're the, simply the product of matter plus time plus chance, 
you just end up in despair. He writes, to think that we have any eternal importance or any, really any importance at all in the face of an immense universe is simply to delude ourselves. Okay, so another, another uh, implication here, we wouldn't have, if you, if you didn't have God, if you didn't have a creator, there would be no supreme judge and moral absolutes. If God did not create us or we cannot know anything about him, the result would be there would be no supreme judge to hold us accountable morally. And consequently, people's morals ideas are only subjective preferences. Things that might be good or useful for them, but not to be imposed on others. The only thing you cannot say is that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Does that line of thinking sound familiar to any of you? <laughs> like everywhere in our culture? <laughs> and creation by an eternal, powerful God is where it goes back to. That's, I think, the reason why the doctrine of creation is so assailed in our day. Thirdly, there would be no reason to care for the weak. No reason at all to care for the weak. If natural selection brings about improvement of life forms on earth through the survival of the fittest, why care for the weak or those who cannot defend themselves? Why not let them die to pave the way for a higher form of humanity, perhaps a master race? This was the reasoning that was used to justify war by Hitler, Nietzsche, and Marx. There also would be no hope for an afterlife, right? Carl Sagan said, I would love to believe that when I die, I will live again, that some thinking, feeling, remembering part of me will continue. But as much as I want to believe that, and despite the ancient and worldwide cultural traditions that assert an afterlife, I know of nothing to suggest that is more than wishful thinking. And that's where you're left if there's no creator I'm amazed that people who are in many ways intelligent can be drawn to the theory that our existence is due to random occurrence. <laughs> I'm just amazed by that. I, Mike, will you join me up here? I, I, I want to give an illustration. I have given this in the past at Harvest when we were um, going through Genesis, so I apologize if you've seen this, but we're going to put a little twist on it today. And um, so if you want your money back, if you've seen it before and you want your money back, just, just go, see, uh, go see Mike afterwards and he'll be dispensing the money. This man knows more about, he's forgotten more about computers than most of us will know. So I wanted him to help me and let's, let's put a computer together, right? All right. So Mike, you want to grab that Mike, <laughs> Mike, grab the mic. All right, so what are the things that we need to have a functioning computer? Uh, so you need a processor. Uh, this one's a 10-year-old processor. Um, it's the brains, the thing that, that orchestrates and executes the instructions that are given to it. Pretty dumb in and of itself. It has to be told what to do. All right, throw, throw that in. All right, what else do you have to have? Uh, memory. This is... 
for the sake of that, that processor knowing what to do and having quick access to some of those instructions and some of the data that it's working with, uh, this, is, this is memory, random access memory, RAM. Now, is that like human memory, like the older you get, the worse it gets? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> okay, just throw it in. I don't want to it, get in. It, no, it, I shouldn't ask questions. Requirements. You have to um, constantly refresh it, uh, which is kind of an interesting concept in, in computer science stuff, that that memory doesn't, it, I write something to it, and it does degrade. I have to constantly read, what was that? Oh, let me write that back. What was that? Oh, let me write that back. And that has to happen all the time with random access memory. Otherwise, it does. It does go away. Uh, longer, term, longer term storage, things that I write to that uh, it's not going to go away uh, anytime soon. Uh, a hard drive, or nowadays it's going to be on a solid state drive, flash memory. Something that I can write to that I don't have to constantly refresh, I don't have to keep power on it, or whatever the case may be. I'm going to put a one here or a zero here, and it's going to continue to be a one or a zero. This is storage, so a hard drive. Okay, throw that in. Uh, this is a motherboard, uh, the thing that we plug all these individual components into. So the processor goes on there, the memory goes on there, and there's lots of extra stuff to it that helps to orchestrate where uh, uh, those things go. The, the, the processor is able to say, all right, well, let me read off of this bus that goes over here, and yada, yada, yada. Now, how many little things are on that? Lots, <laughs> lots, and lots of stuff. And somebody put them on there, right? Yeah, so the, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the 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 illustration fails a little bit because you know there's been a lot of work already before this point. But lots throw of, that in lots there. Of iterative work. Yeah. Tons and tons of generations of work. Uh, we need power for it. We need clean power, and so this this power supply takes that unseen electricity and converts it into DC power of a few different voltages. Um, for the purpose of you know running that hard drive and, and signaling within the computer at 3.3 volts and yada yada yada. Um, it, so this this guy takes that power from the wall and converts it into clean power that we can use to signal as ones and zeros. Got to have clean power. <laughs> and then this is just the case that that all comes in. Um, in and of itself, it's it's just a nice little pretty package. But it also provides some functionality with regards to all the heat that gets generated by the computer, all that energy that we put in, the electricity and the DC power and everything. It's, it's making all that stuff hot. And so there's fans in here. Um, there's a, a fan for the processor specifically. And then Dell has done iteratively, uh, gone through and made um, good cooling flows of air. Like the, the one processor fan kind of pulls across some of the other components that get hot as well. So lots of cooling and casing. All right, so let's throw that in there. All right. Well, let me open it up. And uh, let's put the top on here. And you can put the mic down there for a second. I want you to take the box. And when I say three, I want you to start. Well, no, when I do like this, I want you to just shake all that up together. We're going to build a computer right here. <laughs> right here. And what I want you to do when I say three, I'll go one, two, three. I want all of you just to yell, bang, okay? Okay? And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do it right here, okay? We need a heat source, so you might want to breathe on it a little bit. And, uh, and start shaking it. Go ahead. Start shaking. Let's go. All right, ready? One, two, three. That was a big bang. <laughs> Let's see. Is the computer together? It, 
All right. Thanks so much. You can uh, appreciate it. Now, you might say it's a, a simple matter of putting those components together. I, I wouldn't say that. It might be simple for him. It wouldn't be simple for me. But even those components are designed by people in advance, right? In fact, as he and I were chatting about this last night, the, the, maybe the, obviously what we're illustrating is things don't just come together by random chance, <laughs> You just don't have an explosion and things come together. And it would be in light of the innumerable amount of atoms that are in just a single cell organism, it would be more like if you had like copper in there, not even those elements even put together, right? Uh, What was it, copper and what else, Mike? Silicon, yeah. If you just had those together and somehow it created a functioning computer, it's ridiculous. We wouldn't think that. There has to be a designer. Everything we look at, someone designed and someone built. One of the most astonishing discoveries that astrophysicists have made in recent decades is that if gravity were just one trillionth of one percent stronger, our universe would have reversed course long ago. And it wouldn't have been the Big Bang, it would have collapsed catastrophically like a big crunch. Or if it were just one trillionth of one percent weaker, our universe would have flown apart because of, uh, the, or so rapidly that the planets and the stars and the galaxies would never have a chance to coalesce. Is it an accident that everything just turned out so well? That gravity is not too strong, it's not too weak, but it's just right? Even the avowed atheist, the late Cambridge astronomer Sir Fred Hoyle, rejected that and said, one arrives at the conclusion that biomaterials with their amazing measure or order must be the outcome of intelligent design. Erwin Lutzer put it more simply, I just don't have enough faith to be an evolutionist. And the scripture says by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. And so this relates to the T. <laughs> We trust in God and his word. Jesus is the only person that lived, that died, that rose from the dead, and hundreds of people saw him. And he trusted the Old Testament. He trusted the inspiration and the power and the authority of the Old Testament that says... In the beginning, God created. So it's trust. It's not contrary to facts or to true science. It's just, it's not sight. And that's why it's faith. So we are going to look at these five components of faith. 
In verse 1, it focuses on the unseen rather than the unseen. Verse 2, it's impossible to please God without it. Verse 3, it's trust in God and His Word. Truly, a life of faith pleases God. A life of faith pleases God. And I just want to ask you a question. There's one key question today. Is your faith in Christ personal? Faith is not just a random belief. It's not just, yeah, in general, yeah, it's like a religion. I'm a person of faith or something like that. But it's, but it's, it's, a, it's a personal trust in a personal being. In 1563... I might not say it exactly this way, but I appreciate what he's saying. A German theology professor, Ursinus, formulated his personal faith by saying this, true faith created to me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true, but also a deep-rooted assurance that not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven have been made forever right with God and have been granted salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace earned for us by Christ. Is your faith in Christ personal? If not, today's a great day for it to become that way. Yes, I believe in you. I believe that I'm separated from you. You died on the cross for me, Jesus. I believe in you. I want to follow you. And let me add two words to that question. Is your faith in Christ personal and growing? Is it growing? Let me close with this. William Stig wrote a book called Yellow and Pink, just a little children's book. Two wooden figures wake up. They find themselves, they're lying on an old newspaper in the hot sun. To some of you guys, do all you guys know what a newspaper is? <laughs> Years ago, there was this paper that put ink on, and they reported news and sports and Ann Landers, you know, gossip and stuff. Anyway, they're lying on the newspaper. One of the figures is pink, one of them is yellow. And Yellow wakes up and says, do you know what we're doing here? And they began, these two marionettes began debating the origin of their existence. And Pink surveys their well-formed features and concludes, someone must have made us. And Yellow disagrees and says, I say we're an accident. And so he outlines this hypothetical scenario of how it might happen. A branch might have broken off a tree and fallen on a sharp rock, splitting one end of the branch into two legs. Then the wind might have sent it tumbling down a hill until it was chipped and shaped. And perhaps a flash of lightning struck in such a way as to splinter the wood into arms and fingers. And eyes might have been formed by woodpeckers boring in the wood. With enough time, a thousand, a million, maybe two and a half million years, lots of unusual things could happen, says Yellow. Why not us? So they're having this discussion. 
And all of a sudden, a man strolls out of the house. He comes to the marinettes. He picks them up. He checks their, their paint. He says, hmm, they're nice and dry. And he picks them up and puts them under his arm and heads back to the house. Peering out from the man's arm, Yellow leans over and whispers to Pink, Who is that man? We know who he is, right? He's the creator. A life of faith pleases God.